Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to call in the spirits to support us here today. We call out to the energy of the ancestors, to those people who have gone before us, who have lived well, and perhaps lived very challenging lives, but learned from it, and in that way hold a reservoir of wealth of knowledge, of experience, of gifts that they manifest in their lives, and all of these things are our legacy. And we call out to those ancestors that carry the legacy for us. And we ask them to join us here today to circle around us and to help us to remember that the ancestors are there for us to call on, to support us in each one of our own individual paths in life. So we call out to these ancestors to gather around us, to hold us in a good way here today, that what needs to happen can happen. We call out to the energy of the earth below, this essential, fundamental ancestor, and we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life to the face of this planet. We give thanks for the miracle of that life, the great beauty of that life, and for the fact that each one of us is a part of that beauty and that miracle. May we live this day in a way that expresses that miracle. We give thanks to the earth for a sense of connection, feelings of groundedness and belonging, and our ability here in life on earth to feel the interconnectedness of all things. And from this place, this firm foundation in which we stand with the earth below us and our ancestors gathered round, we reach up all the way up through all the realms of the sky up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that power, I ask you to call it down into our circle, into yourself, into our proceedings here today or whatever day you are listening to this podcast. We call out to this energy above to bring us protection, to bring us blessings, to bring us generosity, and to bring us a sense of of the benevolence of our universe. We call out to this energy to gather round us and to bring us the iridescent energy of possibility that is not yet in form. We call out to the energy of the sky above and the earth below as they come together here where we live here on this very thin crust of humanity on this earth. And we give thanks to the energy of the earth and the sky and the way that they come together in this big love that gives birth to all life as we know it. And as we stand in that energy, let us all recognize that we each need to call in the energy of our hearts because it is in the heart that you will be able to blend the strong passions of your belly with the clarity of your mind that you may come to understand in this life what you are here to do and to do it in a way that is good for all living things. So we give thanks to these energies for gathering round. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may all of these proceedings here today support life in its many, many forms. So welcome everyone to the show here today. Um, Before we go too much further, though, I would like to give thanks to the Last Mass community for their generous financial donations, which keep the show on the air. And for those of you that have been asking, how can I donate too? We are working on an easy way for you to do that with a button you can click on the website. But for now, 
you're welcome to use PayPal if that's all right with you, and you can send donations earmarked for the radio show to Christina at lastmasscenter.org. That's also the email that you can use to send me questions. And today's show is going to be in response to listeners' questions. The topic of today's show is working effectively with spirit. And mostly what I'm going to do today is answer a whole collection of questions that have come in about working effectively with spirit. So I do respond to your questions, and you can send those to me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. Um, Oh, donations. Uh, so you can um, pay that email address through PayPal. You're also welcome to just mail something to us here in Portland, Oregon. And I would suggest you just um, email and we'll send you that address. So today's show is about working effectively with spirit. And the, the, the questions in particular that I want to talk about today come from a listener who is pretty well developed in her relationship with spirit. So I want to begin the show just catching everybody up on the basics, just in case someone's listening for the very first time, and do a little bit of review of what I mean when I'm talking about working effectively um, or having a working relationship with spirit that is effective, um, thus the term working relationship with spirit. So why would be the first question most people would ask. Why should I bother? I'm a busy person. I already meditate or I already have a good relationship with my higher power. Why should I have a working relationship with spirit? Well, both of those things, meditation as a skill and um, cultivating a relationship with your own higher power are exquisitely wonderful and important things to do, as well as cultivating a working relationship with spirit. Because not any one of these things is sufficient um, for the transformations necessary to become a true um, spiritual adult in our world, in our contemporary life. Meditation means a whole lot of different things, number one. But overall, meditation is an extremely valuable and beautiful skill to have. And Meditation usually takes a very long time before changes or transformation happen. So what are you going to do in the meantime as you are cultivating a powerful meditation practice? Meditation also, what I find with most people is that most people don't practice enough. They don't meditate enough to really connect with the transformations possible through that form. So what are you going to do if you're the kind of person who doesn't really have time to meditate enough to access transformation through that skill? And beyond that, the other thing that I notice in people, and this is very much us as contemporary people, but meditation largely takes place for most people in their heads. And thus it is very easy to stay in the realm of the ego and to slip into a kind of spiritual ambition around the meditation um, that is not, that has a certain disregard or disrespect for the body and for your emotional life. And so I'm not saying this is, these are all givens with meditation, but they are possibilities. And I feel that meditation balanced by a working relationship with spirit through journeying, um, these two things then tend to balance out the weaknesses inherent in each. Now the higher power thing is, is a bit of a different issue. Um, because it doesn't really take the ego long 
in the controlling sense of the ego. It doesn't take the ego long to learn to dress up like your higher power. You, we always must remember that the ego is absolutely shameless. It will do anything to keep you from harm. And anything that changes the status quo is perceived of as harm by the ego. So any conscious change you're trying to make is perceived of by the ego as harm. And everyone says, oh, but Christina, when I'm in connection with my higher power, it feels different. I always know the difference. Yes, you do. Until you are in an extreme state in which there is so much going on that no one can really feel the distinction between higher power, ego, or anything else that's going on. And I have seen this in my own students, unfortunately, that at that critical moment of transformation where they, in, they are in the threshold that they have worked for potentially 10 years to get to, in that threshold, the ego finally pitches a fit, dresses up like the higher power, and tells the person they don't need to go through that threshold one way or another. Issues get projected out, and the next thing you know, the person does not do that one thing that would transform their entire life and ultimately their relationship with their ego. So there's nothing wrong with a relationship with your higher power. But from what I have observed today, that in and of itself is not enough. So... Whether the lie that we tell ourselves is that we are better than we think we are in grandiosity or the lie that we tell ourselves is that we are less than what we are, that we are unworthy or somehow to be shamed or blamed, what we all must always understand is that we are phenomenally good at lying to ourselves. And this is what developing a working relationship with spirit is about as is meditation and as is having a relationship with your higher power, or in other words, cultivating your intuition. That a working relationship with spirit, particularly through the discipline of the shamanic journey, allows you to ask questions like, so how am I fooling myself? Um, What do I need to do to get out of my own way? What aspects of this challenge am I blind to? That we can ask questions questions and get answers from spirit in the journey space that our ego would prefer um, we stay deaf, dumb, and blind too. And so this is why I feel that a working relationship with spirit is still necessary even as we cultivate these other tools for living and well-being. So another thing that I've talked about on a variety of shows, just kind of going, continuing to go over the basics here is that what our shamanic skills are doing, particularly in working with a relationship with spirit, is that we are enhancing what is naturally there. So, in other words, we are enhancing our natural intuitive capacities as people. And I believe that our ability to have a relationship with spirit and that intuitive capacity is an expressive art. It's just like singing, dancing, creating with our hands, painting or whatever, and that all human beings have access to all of these. That doesn't mean you do it at a level other people might want to pay money for, but you are able to do it at the level that is appropriate and necessary for you for most things. And so what we're doing when we're developing a working relationship with spirit is we are enhancing 
your natural capacity to connect through your own intuition to spirit, be it your spirit or spirit in the larger sense of the great oneness of all things. So now for some people, connecting with your own natural abilities means you need to open up. So on one hand, this is about opening up. Um, On the other hand, this is also about having the humility to understand that everyone has intuition and that um, your messages from spirit are valuable for you, but they may not be all that interesting to anybody else. So for those of you that get a ton of information intuitively, it's important to have some humility and understand, you know, to filter and understand that what you have to say may not really be all that valuable for other people. It may, but it may not. So our intuition comes through four primary channels in our life as humans. Um, Intuitive messages come through our body. Intuitive messages come from your life to you. Intuitive messages come from your soul or your own spirit in your sense of being an individual. And these are um, often found in your dreams, um, in basic insights that there are ways that the soul communicates with you. And then, of course, there are messages from spirit in the larger sense, the, the great oneness of all things. Um, and there are lots of ways that all of these different avenues of your intuition communicate with you. But, for example, the body, we get um, instinctual intuition. We get intuitive intuition, but we also get inspiration. And these are all different aspects of our human intuition. And so what we're, we're connecting with when we connect with shamanism is techniques to enhance all of these channels to con- um, that all of these channels of our intuitive self. So once we learn the discipline then of journeying, well, okay, let me back up a little bit. So in shamanism, we have lots of different aspects to cultivate your intuitive self. And that is journeying. It is also um, embodying spirit through dancing. It is also embodying spirit, for example, on the vision quest where you fast and you're out in nature and you're calling for a vision and experiencing that out in the physical world versus journeying for it. Um, So there are lots of practices within shamanism, but all of them are designed to enhance a human being's natural intuitive faculties. Um, And then with journeying precisely then, um, uh, separate from the other shamanic practices, we have a couple issues then that are important to look at as we're looking at working effectively with spirit. So the first is how you craft your question, because in the journey divination tool, as you, as you listening to the drum or whatever is supporting your journey, your dream body person moves out into the spirit realm. It goes on purpose. It goes with a task or an intention. And much of the time that intention is to get an answer to the question. The journey itself, then all of it, is, a, is the answer. It responds to the question or the intention. And so the intention you go in with and the question you go in with shapes the journey. So how you craft your question entirely affects the answer that you get. 
um, in the next piece is then interpreting the answer that you get in your journey, which may be entirely experiential. So an aspect of working with this to work effectively with spirit has to do with you learning your own symbolic language and learning when there are symbols or um, elements of your own journey that may be for someone else. Um, Another way I would say that is when I work with other people. So when I journey for myself, the symbolic language is somewhat familiar. It's the same language that I'm traveling around in in my dreams at night. It's the same for you as well. Your symbolic language is familiar to you from all of your lifetime of dreaming. But when I get symbols that are for another person that I have no relationship to, they actually stand out on the landscape of my journey as something foreign. And I've come to understand or sense in the journeying what is foreign and what is my symbolic language. And this is, of course, extremely important ability to cultivate if you are someone who is using your relationship with spirit in your own process of working with other people. You need to know the difference between your symbolic language and things that are for them. And finally, the last piece that is critically important if we want to have a working relationship with spirit that is effective is that you're willing to take action based on the information you get from spirit. And this, of all of these things, is our weakest link as contemporary people that we somehow underneath it all don't quite trust and aren't willing to commit in action in life to the messages we're getting with spirit. So basically, to kind of summarize this then, the essence of working effectively with spirit in journeying is that your point of view around the situation itself will shape the question that you create. And then the question that you create influences the answer that you get. And then your point of view influences how you interpret that answer. And all of that influences then how and what you do. And so there are issues here around um, interpretation and how you cultivate the clarity of your body and your emotions and your mind and your spirit so that you can perceive of the problem accurately in the first place and um, craft questions, take the journey, interpret, etc. So that's all important to understand in working effectively with spirit. The next idea that all are the, I'm, all of these are ideas that there are whole shows on in the archives, and that's why I'm not going really deeply into them. Um, and the archives, for those of you who have not found them yet, are on iTunes. You can just um, search for Why Shamanism Now, and there are shows going all the way back to January of 2009. So one of the other things that we have talked about in working with spirit, shamanically speaking, is that, well, and actually, frankly, working simply with your intuition, with your higher power, even in meditation, that if you don't ask the question, you don't get the answer. Spirit is not just an omniscient version of your mother-father, all smushed together and aware of everything. There is no judgment there. You will not be saved from yourself by spirit unless you ask to be. That you will be allowed by spirit to be as blind as you want to be. You'll be allowed to be as arrogant as you want to be. And you will also be allowed to be as undeserving or unworthy as you believe yourself to be. 
that spirit will not come in and correct you. Spirit is simply there as a source of power for you to utilize through your questions. So what I mean by this is just to share a story. A long time ago, um, this is like a couple decades ago, actually, I received a book from a guy whose third eye had just opened up and he'd just been downloaded um, from spirit, all of this stuff. And he was so excited and he had received all of this great information and it was so clear. Finally, he'd worked so hard to get there. And wouldn't I be honored to have him co-teach with me? Uh, which meant to bring him into my workshops and let him teach my students. Um, all of this was based on what he was sure was the brilliance of his book and how that would compel me to invite him in because of the synchronicity of our teachings and, um, you know, open the way for him. What he didn't understand is that his book was filled with what everyone receives from spirit when they first awaken and open up to spirit. He forgot to ask that. He just assumed he was the only person in the world who'd ever received that information so clearly. And I give him kudos for actually getting it into a book, you know, but he forgot to ask how what he had just received fit into a larger picture of things. The book was very clear, but there was nothing in that book that was unique. Nothing that there weren't, you know, 192 other books saying there was nothing special. And my response to him at the time was, well, this is great. But now that you're open to spirit, what are you going to do? How, what's your soul's purpose? How, what, what, what are you going to do with that connection to spirit? And he was offended. Uh, there's a sense that the sort of the brilliance of his relationship with spirit should be enough. And you know what, people, we've all got a relationship with spirit. Every one of us should be using it. And it's important to understand that everyone gets the same information when they open up to spirit. And yes, it seems like rocket science, but trust me, the critical piece is how you're going to use that relationship with spirit to support you now in discovering what your unique purpose is here and finding a way in your contemporary life to live it. So it's important that we understand as we talk about working effectively with spirit, that spirit is there as a source of power. It is not good or bad. It is neither dark or light. There is no judgment. It is all things. It is very yin and yang in its wholeness, but it isn't, there isn't good or bad power. All there is is you and your discernment of how you will use power. Now, do not hide. Not using your power is as damaging to you and to the whole of humanity as misusing your power. I cannot tell you how many people I work with as clients and students who have solved this power problem by just not using theirs. That's not an option. You are a person of power. It is not a process to come into your power or a healing process or anything. You are. It is a given. You are a person of power and you are always manifesting. Always. There is no off button. Off is dead. As long as you are living, you are a person of power and you are manifesting. The question is, what? 
are you manifesting? What is your power being used for? Who is it being used by? If you're not using your power, who is? Your boyfriend? Your girlfriend? Your own unconsciousness? Your neighbor? Your teacher? That it is not a solution to the power dilemma to simply choose to not use it. Once you are an adult, you are responsible for your power and what it creates in the world. Regardless of how unconscious you were when you created it, and regardless of whether or not someone stole your power and did something stupid with it, you are responsible for your power. And so what we're really talking about when we talk about having an effective relationship with spirit is we are talking about you stepping up and learning to use your power. So obviously now, as we move into the questions, we see clearly why humility and power are so critical in shamanism. When we look at pre-contact shamanic cultures, we see how fundamental the role of humility is in the development of all of the spiritual adults in the culture, but especially in the development of the shaman, that the ability to find this balance, this paradoxical balance between the willingness to step into your power and do so with utmost complete humility is the mark of the shaman. And every single one of the people in the culture would have already danced that dance at this simpler, more fundamental version of that transformation in initiation from childhood to adulthood. And so in that place that all children, one, think they're the center of the universe, and get all worked up about their story, their, their story, whatever their story is being raised. And in that story, there is an accounting sheet of what was and wasn't, what is owed them, where the debts are. And what's happening in the function of initiation from childhood to adulthood is that whole story of the child and the relationship with those debts with the parents has to be surrendered. It has to be released and let go of to survive initiation. And understand all traditional shamanic cultures, initiation processes involve the actual threat of death. And so the, the small child-formed ego that's all caught up in the story of the life with the parents and the community has to die. And the the true, authentic person within reaches out to earth as mother, sky as father. However, the true spirit, mother-father energy is manifest in the stories of that culture, reaches out to those energies in the spirit world. And in doing so, is simultaneously connected to the truth of your power and the vastness of it, that you are a being connected to this great oneness. And at the same time, in the face of that great oneness, there is enormous humility because you this tiny, tiny, tiny little thread in the great fabric of the universe. And so it, it establishes that first time of coming into that paradox of humility and power. And then this is simply um, exaggerated even more deeply in the initiation that would come on the back of that childhood to adult initiation for the shaman. 
And so, you know, why does this relationship with spirit matter so much? Or this initiation by spirit matter so much, especially with shamans? Because if we go back to what we were talking about before, the journey, that relationship with spirit, be it your intuition or in journeys or any kind of altered state, is an interpreted experience. And you interpret through your lens. Your lens is transformed through initiation. One of the challenges I have as a contemporary teacher is people that learn to journey, learn the shamanic skills, but don't allow the initiation. They want to be shamans. They can use the skills. They can hang up a shingle if they want to. But their interpretation is going to be different than the way they would interpret things for a client if they were initiated because it changes the lens through which we see everything. And so this is why that is so critically important. So this value, this value for initiation is seen in traditional teaching stories. And as contemporary people, as we reflect on history, we have seen not only, not only the power of traditional teaching stories to to hold the strength and values of a people together, but we have also seen them used and misused to, in certain systems, you see how the stories in that system lift a certain part of the group up and put another part of the group down. And we see that all over the world, in governments, in religions, in different places. And so the power of the storyteller is very, very important. So as we look at traditional shamanic teachings, we have to question how those stories may or may not have been distorted by coming headlong into the powerful force of the righteous and absolute reality of people coming out of monotheistic religions. And so when people send me questions about, you know, how do I balance you know, what you're talking about on your radio show with my traditional teachings and shamanism. Well, one of the things we have to always keep open to is the possibility that the traditional teachings themselves have become distorted. That, they, that, that indigenous people have been able to hold on to any traditional teachings is a small miracle. But we change things. Life changes things. So we need to be careful and open to that possibility. So an example here would be there are traditional stories about how the shaman never received payment. The shaman always received payment of some kind. The issue for the shaman and this, this tradition of not receiving payment is to not lust after riches, especially on the back of other people's suffering. But be very careful about how you interpret this idea of not receiving payment. Because in a world that functions without money, being fed, given a blanket, a couple extra chickens, um, extra sage, extra tobacco, you know, to be given these gifts that are the supplies of your work is payment. And so we need to be very careful about these biases and how we interpret them. Another aspect of that, especially with shamanism, is be very careful about what appears to be altruistic. Energy seeks balance. And energy is always needs to be exchanged. And for me, as a person of power in my life, I want all of my exchanges to be conscious and clear. I don't want 
shamanism for free. Because somehow that exchange of energy is going to need to get balanced back out. And I will be completely unconscious of how that happens if that interchange or that exchange is not made conscious right up front. So these are things that we need to think about. In other cultures, there are, and you know, and at the same time, in other shamanic cultures, there, the, um, the shamans accumulated a great deal of wealth. And it was the, the wealth of the shaman that was powerful word of mouth as to the shaman's effectiveness. And in those cultures, there was almost always some annual giveaway ceremony in which all of that, the riches of that culture were disseminated amongst the people and everything was balanced out again. And so we need to be very careful about how we interpret and judge these um, stories that we get from traditions. There's also some traditional stories about not letting your light shine and to be of service in the world just very humbly um, and let your services be known, spread word of mouth and things like that. And to the extent that this encourages humility in one's practice, this is a great teaching to let your reputation grow on the value of your work and to not, as my Taoistic teacher would say, need to spray your paint. This is, this is good in that sense. And, um, and what I mean by this is this need to spray your paint. Okay. Um, an example is I had a student who was participating in a monthly journey circle in a in an urban area and in these monthly journey circles everyone everyone is peers there's no shaman leading they're all sharing the leadership sharing the journey work together it's all shared equally and they're all in it to develop their skills together what this woman would do is someone would share and instead of this woman was unable so so desperately needed to spray her paint that she was unable to maintain the fundamental value in sacred circle or fundamental principle in sacred circle, which is to simply let people express themselves and to not react or respond to them unless asked. And without being asked, whenever someone said, oh, you know, I'm working with this issue and this was my answer from spirit and this is how I'm going to go forward, she was going, oh, well, I actually have a form of healing that can help you with that. You should come see me and and, and have a session. And so she was constantly advertising herself in this circle of peers. Her services, from her perspective, were an answer to everybody's problems. And this is the need to spray your paint. Yes, it is entirely inappropriate. So to the extent that that traditional value of not letting your light shine and being of service by word of mouth um, is legitimate in that case. But in another interpretation... Ask yourself, how is not letting your light shine any different than my Irish grandmother saying, you never let God know who your favorite child is or God will take them away. And then that child is treated especially unfairly just in case God is watching. And then that child is, of course, damaged for life unless they can transform their issues from childhood. So Taoistically speaking, it is not healthy for people to be limited by others or from within themselves in their expression of their own authenticity. To encourage anyone to not shine is not healthy, ever. To be encouraged to not spray your paint is healthy. 
And so what we need to do as individuals is to cultivate a strong and freely operating truth cord to know the difference between when am I shining because it is essential for my health and well-being to express my true nature in the world. And when am I spraying my paint? We cannot be adults in this world without the capacity for discernment and the willingness to live our truth. And when our truth proves to be a little wonky, we then need to transform ourselves so that we can resonate with a higher sense of truth. But either way, we must allow who we are in the world to shine. Another thing to think about is what does word of mouth look like today? Where do you go to find a restaurant? Where do you go to find a healer? Where do you go to find a mechanic for your car? My guess is most of you check the internet. So what word of mouth means changes in different times. To not express our power is damaging, is just as damaging as overexpressing it or inappropriately expressing it. We are meant to put up a sign that says, cobbler here, baker here. I mean, for goodness sakes, in many traditional cultures, how you dressed is expressed precisely to everyone you met your marital status and sexual status. I mean, what people were and what they did was literally advertised in how their clothing was worn, what was hung on their teepee. I mean, these things were advertised. The idea that clearly expressing who you are and what you do in the world is somehow inappropriate is just silly. It's always been done. But what we need to un- understand for ourselves is what does word of mouth mean in today's world? And make a distinction between that and the abuse of power and manipulation that is found in most of our advertising today. That these are two different things. So another question that has come in about effectively working with spirit has to do with getting somewhat lost, I feel, in the battle between light and dark. For me, I believe, thank goodness, that there is a movement today in shamanism that has counterparts in other disciplines. I mean, we're not alone in this. But practitioners like Betsy Bergstrom, myself, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I would include Sandra Ingerman, um, are conceiving of their practices from a heart-centered point of view. In other words, as contemporary practitioners, we have said, look, love is either the best, the the most central core, most powerful energy in the world, or it is not. We are either one or we are not. There are no gray areas here. And that if we believe that we are all one and that it is the love energy that connects all things, then we must practice from that stance, period, without mitigation, without um, debating or whining about gray areas. I do believe that this is at the core of all shamanic uh, traditions. I also believe that it's really challenging for people to do that, and it always has been. Sorcery happened. And it happens now. 
Very, very skilled people set some serious evil in motion on the earth, and it still moves today. Not everyone was able to manifest a heart-centered point of view in life. So, yeah, there's stuff out there. But today, we have no excuse to get caught up in that perceived battle between dark and light. We have psychological wisdom today. It is a soft technology that anyone can use. We understand now how to grow up and be better people and why. I mean, for goodness sakes, everybody, John Bradshaw was on public television in the 1980s. So no one of any race or class has any excuse to not transform their family of origin issues. For goodness sakes, PBS is free. So John Bradshaw's information about the basic work with your family of origin trauma was right there free for everybody to access decades ago. That is the reality today. No one has an excuse to go forward and not deal with their family of origin issues and clear those very things that distort our reality. As I, and, and this is really important relative to shamanism because there's lots of traditions in shamanism, like shamans don't trust each other, shamans don't do this, shamans don't do that, and of course, that relationship between shamanism and sorcery. Well, yeah, it's hard to do the right thing. It's hard sometimes to come from the heart. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying. So as I researched the encyclopedia, I spent a lot of days musing on the way in which peoples, traditional peoples, were colonized by people who were their own shadow. And at the same time, equally true, the colonizers chose to colonize people who reflected back their shadow. In other words, traditional people weren't perfectly evolved. They weren't without shadow. And this this path of human history has been about meeting your shadow. And meeting your shadow is about developing psychological wisdom and growing up. And there is a place for that in traditional people's lives. And there is certainly a place for that in contemporary people's lives. But don't romanticize the past. It wasn't perfect. And I think history shows as people came to meet their shadows, this possibility of psychological and psychoemotional maturity, maturation. So right now, we simply have to choose what our relationship will be with issues of dark and light. The very use of those words itself is biased and defensive and chickening out of the point. We aren't talking about dark and light. We are talking about the right use, the right use of power or the abuse or misuse of power. And as a person, in whatever time you choose to live, you must take a stand. If you are going to fight darkness, you are adding to war. If you are going to practice only light work, you are adding to the energetic field of separation. Humans separate from God, body separate from spirit, you are adding to the energetic field of separation. There is only one way, regardless of tradition, to stand up for the right use of power. And that is to stand up and use it. 
yes, you will become an attraction. So be clever and humble, but stand up. Yes, things you don't want will come your way, just like dating in college. But you survived college and many a grope and inappropriate movements made towards you. You know how to do this. You will have the compassionate beings of the universe standing with you. And you will heal. And for each of the crappy things that come your way, you will inspire tenfold more people to stand up, to let their light shine, and to use their power wisely. Love is either the source of all things or it is not. And you simply have to choose for yourself. Stand up and use your power. So the final question about working effectively with spirit has to do with working with spirits of place and time. And this is a really interesting question because so many people travel outside of their homeland to some other country and learn some version of shamanism that is from an, in a country they don't even live in. Other people are contemporary people trying to go back to their ancestry and finding a kind of a, a traditional version of shamanism that may or may not um, dovetail with with where they live in their contemporary lives. So there, there are these issues of, of spirits working with time and place. And um, Tom Cowan, actually, um, a, a few weeks back, he was, we were talking about um, the Society of Shamanic Practitioners Conference and what they were trying to do with their Shamanism Without Borders um, exploration this year at the conference. And Tom was talking about how um, in his own path, uh, he he had to find his shamanic practices via his own ancestry, which is um, Celtic, and that he couldn't keep working in a Native American tradition because he didn't have a Native American gene in his gene pool. Um, and so the question from the listener was, so what if a Celtic shaman from Ireland came to America? How would he or she manage honoring the spirits of this country? Um, so that he could work effective, work effectively with his own, his or her own helping spirits. So there are actually a lot of shamanic issues in this question. I actually really like the question. Um, there are several issues here. And one, the first one is about finding your ancestry. If you want to be a shamanic practitioner, even just for your own self in your own life, to use shamanic skills to support you as a person of power in the world, to support you of standing up and expressing your power and the right use of power. If that's what you want, even if you're not going to practice with other people, you do need to find your ancestry. You need to find the ancestry of your blood and understand what their practices were. And you need to find the ancestry of your shamanic practice in this life. They may or may not be the same. And you need to be open to that. To practice well and without distortion of your interpretation, you will need a relationship with your ancestors, your bloodline ancestors. That is important. At the same time, the spirits that come to you and are, and are guiding you shamanically may not be of that ancestry. 
And that can be a challenging thing for people to deal with. For myself personally, I'm just a white girl from Oregon, right? My ancestors are basic, you know, Northern European mutt, Germans and English, little um, Irish thrown in there, uh, Scottish, actually, pardon me, grandma, thrown in there. You know, it's just typical American. And my shamanic awakening occurred in Ecuador. And my practices and my teachings are really most aligned with Central and South America. So what this means is you do need to find your ancestry. And you do need to find the ancestry of your practice. For Tom, they happen to be the same thing, which is lovely. But that may not be the case for you. So the other thing we need to ask ourselves when we're looking into traditional shamanic practices is where did they come from? Every traditional practice began with a first shaman. And every first shaman didn't have another shaman to teach them how to do it. So the first shaman began to build that traditional traditions practice from their relationship with the spirit world. And the relationship with the spirit world that we are enveloped in is the spirit energies of the place that we live in. The spirit energies of nature, of the plant and animal, bird, bug world, and the elements of the land itself, the land that is temporal and changing, and the land that is deep and abiding. So you have Peruvian shamans in the Andes working with the Apus, with the mountain spirits. But you have other Peruvian shamans in the Amazon working with ayahuasca and the river spirit and the anaconda. And so you need to be, we need to be aware and respectful of the fact that shamanic traditions come from the land. Mountain shamans all over the world are more like other mountain shamans than they are like their neighbors in the valley below. Valley shamans all over the world are more like valley shamans than they are like, for example, Amazonian shamans who live, you know, deep in a rainforest and can move through the rivers, only the rivers. There's not big sky. So shamanic people are most like other shamanic people that live in environments like they do. And so if you're reaching into a tradition, respect the people and bless those people that carry these traditions forward. I am not negating anything about those people, but reach through the people to the source, to the first shaman and to all of those energies that the first shaman was relating with to build that practice, which then answers the obvious question. When you go, let's say you go off to Peru and you study Peruvian shamanism, Quechua shamanism with all the Andes, and you come back to the Pacific Northwest of North America, be it America or Canada, it doesn't matter, you've got great big volcanic mountain spirits right there to call out to the Apus in Peru, who are the mountains of your ancestors of your training, and to ignore the mountains right there in front of your face is deeply disrespectful and will undermine the power of your shamanic practice. That what you have learned by traveling to Peru and working with mountain shamans is how to work with mountains. You have not learned the right way to practice. You have learned a way 
that shamanic people in the mountains work with mountain spirits. And you can bring that to your life, wherever you are, to work with the mountains there. So then I would ask you, if you live in the plains, what are you doing going to Peru to work with mountain shamans if you don't have any mountains around you? And so these are things we need to think about now with some education and understanding and not just knee-jerk reactions to who's the most popular shamanic person right now who can take you to some exotic country and give you an exotic experience so you have a feeling of being alive. That where this matters, the only practice that is going to matter is the practice you are able to do every day. And it is the spirit energies you live with who are there to support that practice. So, with that said, it is also important if you have the luck, the, the beauty in your life of being invited into anybody's traditional practice to do as you are guided to do while you are in that practice. You must honor and respect your teachers and the practices that you are part of. If they have invited you in, be humble and do as they do. Do as you are instructed. If they say only make offerings with the left hand, only eat with the right hand, you know, whatever it is, whatever those trainings are, don't look people in the eye, do look people in the eye, whatever they are, do your best when you are with those people to do those things. But in the end, for you, in your shamanic practice, to work effectively with spirit, you must honor the helping spirits that have come to you to work with. You must honor your ancestors. And you must work with what is right in front of you, which is the helping spirits of the land on which you live. So the important thing in all of this that we must remember as contemporary practitioners is that there is absolutely nothing wrong with being wrong as long as we learn from it. And this cross-culturally, cross-tradition throughout all time and space for humans is the reason the helping spirits come to us in the first place. Because we are human. And the great gift humanity brings to the diversity of life, here on earth at least, is that we create. That we are able to innovate. This is a unique aspect of being human. That the power through which, the, 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 the constancy through which we are always creating and manifesting. And in that, we make enormous messes. We make huge, grand mistakes and a whole bunch of little ones. And it is because in the process of greatness, in the magnificence of bringing your soul's purpose, this unique thing into manifestation in your life, you'll make a mess. You will take wrong turns. You will screw up. That's how it works. And spirit comes to us to assist us in learning from those mistakes, in cleaning up the messes that we have made with spirit, and to find a way to live in good relationship with all living things as we express our own unique genius, to do so in a way that is humble. And that is gracious to all living things, but to do it. And there is no way to do it 
and not make a few messes. And we need to understand and have the, the freedom within our own life to have some, renew, some room to maneuver with that. So what is important here is that we can't let our interpretation of tradition distort our, our practice today. And this is a delicate line because we cannot change or, or part tradition in any way until we truly understand how that piece of that tradition is meant to function. In other words, we need to know why we're doing something and we may need to do it repeatedly to understand that. But that ultimately, we must honor our own relationship with spirit and our own truth cord because that is the only way that we will be able to find the path to do what we've come here to do. And the important thing to remember about traditional practices, and as sad as this is, is that many traditions became museum pieces when the shamans were killed as the people were colonized or taken over in whatever way that they were, some almost exterminated. That you keep the leaders alive and you kill the shamans because the leaders will do whatever is necessary to keep the people alive. The shamans won't because they answer to a higher power. And so many traditions would have been evolved by their tradition of shamans, but that tradition was cut short. And so we as contemporary practitioners must honor and have respect for traditions, understand where they came from and why the elements of the tradition of the tradition exists and ultimately continue to work with our own helping spirits, the spirits of the land where we live and our own truth cords to understand what is right for us so that we can live our soul's true purpose. So I want to thank you all for joining me here this week. I give thanks to the ancestors who've gathered around us for the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. I give thanks to all of the shamanic peoples around the globe that have held on to their, tradi- their traditions, even with the faced with death. And I give thanks to all of those who are willing and able at this time on this planet to step forward into their calling and to find a way to practice the shamanism of today. So I want to thank all of those who have donated to keep the show on the air that you are welcome to subscribe for our weekly email reminders about the show. It's just one email a week that says, this is the show, this is the link, and this is what we're talking about. And you can send that to Christina at lastmasscenter.org. All the information about myself and the healing and the classes and the Encyclopedia of Shamanism and all that can be found on that website, lastmasscenter.org. All of the shows can be found on iTunes for free download. And please share the show with others, forward the e-card, become a fan on Facebook, do whatever you can to help our audience to grow. Thank you all and have a great week. 